And so let me quickly introduce, we are in this series called Living Together, hashtag Living Together. I recognize that sounds a little bit shady, so we're going to redefine what Living Together means in this community. And it's a series where we're going through this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Live Together. If you can show that picture. Live Together is a book that was written before World War II, and uh, it's a book about community. And especially as we enter into this new season here at Woven, uh, not just the 11 a.m. time slot, but this experiment, this experiment that is Kingdom City with multiple churches meeting together, will this go well? Will it not go well? And therefore, that's why we're talking about what it means to have a life together, a community life together. And I think today's sermon is going to be all about this idea of living together with multiple congregations under the same roof. How is it going to work? How's it going to work? And that's what we're talking about today. And so um, one more time, one last time, briefly, let me introduce Bonifer the man for those who weren't here last Sunday. Dietrich Bonifer was a German Lutheran pastor Around the time of World War II, he would not go with the German Christian church in following Nazism and Adolf Hitler. He protested and even got involved in a plot to overthrow Hitler. And as a result, he was caught by the Gestapo, and days before the end of the war, he was executed by hanging. And you can read all about that historic story in the book. By the way, we distributed, we had 20 copies, all I think but two are, are gone. So if you'd like a copy of this book, we do have a few copies left. If you'd like a copy, please speak with our welcoming coordinator, Anthony. He's in the back over there, and he can get you a free copy of this book that we're going through as a community. If Anthony, if, if there are more people that are asking for it, we can buy more. We'll make more available. So we'll do that. So just put a back order in for it. So, um, but not only was Bonifer uh, a German Lutheran pastor, but he was also an ethicist. He, he wrote a book on ethics that's like this thick. And so if you find you're reading this deceptively simple, thin book, Life Together, and you're saying, I'm a little bit confused, what is he talking about? That's Bonifer, not just the pastor, but the ethicist speaking. And so what I want to do is explain what Bonifer, the ethicist, is talking about and then take that and put it into direct conversation with Scripture because, after all, this is not the church of Dietrich Bonifer. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And so we are looking at Christ's book, the Bible, but we are engaging Bonifer's ideas together with the Bible. And so my approach in this series, my approach is going to be twofold. Number one to explain clearly what Bonifer is talking about, to clearly explain it so that as you read it, you will understand what he's talking about because I wouldn't explain a book just for no reason. There's, there's something important that he's saying. And I think it's a message that's very timely to us here at, at Woven and also in Kingdom City. So first of all, I want to explain exactly what Bonifer the ethicist is talking about. But secondly, I'm going to put that into conversation with the Bible. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to hang out and talk a little bit more through chapter 1 and camp out on this big idea that we talked about last Sunday. Do you remember? There were two types of loves we were talking about. The big idea is human love on the one hand. And spiritual love, on the other hand. Spiritual love is the ideal. It's the pure love. It has no ulterior motives. 
Now, I'm an older sibling. I have a younger brother. I know exactly what ulterior motives are like. When I would talk to my younger brother, I'd say, here, let me give you this. But really, I wanted something in return. And that's just the way we think. Everything has an ulterior motive. Spiritual love is, is divested of self. Spiritual love is pure. There is no ulterior motive. Human love, on the other hand, human love is filled with self-interest. That even when, and this is what Bonifer says, even when it's giving, it's trying to get something in return. Now, I don't know about you, but that is me. Rarely do I find myself doing or serving or giving without some self-interest involved that I want something back in return. And so we're still going to camp out on this big idea today. FYI, if you are reading along in the book, we are towards the end of chapter 1 in the latter 30s, between 34 and 38, around those pages, that's where we are. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep talking about the difference. Again, human love, imperfect Flawed, self-interest. Spiritual love, ideal, good. Pure. And those, that's the big idea, but I'm going to talk along two headings. And you should have received a notes, a notes sheet on your way in. And those two halves that I'm going to talk about today as I continue to expound these loves. First of all is the painful message. There's a painful message in Bonifer. When I read this book again for like the fourth or fifth time, I found something he was saying in chapter 1 very disturbing. So that's the first half, the painful message. The second half that we're going to talk about today is the parish concept. And so that's the two halves for today. First is the painful message, and secondly is the parish concept. So in order to set the stage for this painful message... Let me put in a scenario, maybe think of, I like to talk about movies and use movies as an example. So think about um, some movies, for example, um, The Truman Show. If you've ever seen The Truman Show with Jim Carrey, you have the perfect world, except it's all TV. Or, for example, I think of Minority Report, Tom Cruise, where the world is perfect because they have a department of pre-crime. Do you remember that? And so basically, crime is stopped before it happens. Um, another example is Gattaca, where everybody is, I, I, I don't remember the movie, but I believe it's about genetic engineering and everybody's perfectly engineered. Or The Matrix, where the world is perfect because everybody's plugged into machines. So on and so forth. What is the common theme in all of these movies? The common theme is a utopian, perfect society. Where everything is perfect... And they try to make the world perfect, whether it's through machines or genetic engineering. It's futuristic or maybe through control. But everybody is perfect. Everything is perfect except for one person. One person sees in the midst of the utopia some kind of fatal flaw. There's something wrong with this system. And that one person, that neo, or that outcast, or that misfit, that one person who finds out all of a sudden that he committed the pre-crime, and that he's on the hunt, realizes that there is a dilemma, there's something about this perfect society that is broken, flawed, ethically wrong, and he becomes, or she becomes, a misfit who has to leave the matrix. This is somebody that has to leave the system because they can't tolerate the brokenness of it, 
But when you leave the system, it threatens to dissolve and break apart the entire community. For example, for Neo to leave the matrix, to have to be unplugged, basically signals the end of the matrix. Or when Tom Cruise has to, he's on the run from the Department of Pre-Crime. It's going to mess up the whole thing. The whole point that I'm trying to make is that in Bonifer, there is a sense where community always has some kind of fatal flaw because all community is built on this thing that he calls human love. Every community has something in it that says, what can I get from it? Every community has personal self-interest involved. What can I get from this arrangement? As the pastor of this church, as I lead this congregation, what hole in my heart is being filled? What needs do I have that's met by getting up in front and talking to everybody and telling them how they should think and believe? Every community, no matter how perfect or utopian, has some kind of fatal flaw. That's what Bonifer is saying. And that's a painful message. Because if a community has a fatal flaw, then inevitably there's going to be a misfit. Somebody who says there's something wrong with this community when everybody else is drinking the Kool-Aid. One person will recognize there's something wrong. And in leaving that community faces the crisis, the transition of human love to spiritual love. And also presents the possibility of the dissolution of the entire community. And I know that this happened to me 25 years ago. 25 years ago, it's far enough removed that I can talk about this. That there came a point where I just saw something wrong with the community that I was a part of. I saw issues of control. I saw issues of guilt expectations. I saw massive burnout. And I felt this thing on my, on my chest that I needed to get out, I needed to talk about. But the thing is, I felt like if I did so, I was betraying the community. I felt like if I voiced my opinions and only deeper into depression, that's what I sank deeper into depression. And so what happens is you're faced with this reality that we have to set a boundary. We have to, we have to face the fatal flaw. We can't do, you know, we can't, you know, there's one famous character. He says, if I eat the steak, I know that the matrix is telling me that it's juicy and delicious. But I've learned after all these years that when he eats the steak, ignorance is bliss. Isn't it just easier to not disrupt the status quo? Isn't it easier just to go with the flow and just be part of the community and not complain? Isn't it easier to just kind of eat the steak and just take it and just live in that unhealthy environment? That's the great temptation that Bonifer talks about. And we see this on page 34. Listen to these words very carefully. What Bonifer says on page 34 is that human love, remember imperfect love, love that's getting something in return, love that has an itch that needs to be scratched, and it's getting that itch scratched by the community, no matter how codependent or toxic that need is. And he says human love by its very nature is desire for human community. It's desire. It's desire. I can't exist alone. I need you. 
to affirm me. I need this relationship. I need this marriage to keep me going with my dependencies. I need these things. But as soon as we recognize that there's something flawed in this, he says, so long as human love can satisfy its own desire, it will not give it up, even for the sake of truth and even for the sake of genuine love. And this is where the painful message comes out. He says, human love cannot tolerate the dissolution of a fellowship that's become false. Where Christ calls me to keep a fellowship together for the sake of love, I will maintain it. I'll keep it. But where his truth enjoins me, challenges me, implores that I dissolve a relationship or a fellowship for the sake of true spiritual love, I have to dissolve it despite all the protests of my human love. I know that's a little difficult, but I think what he's saying there is you cannot persist in a relationship that abuses you no matter how much your human love says, I feel safe, I like the steak, I feel warm in the womb, I don't want to leave. I want to persist in this toxic dependency. I want to persist in this system. And in the meantime, you have a black eye and you're being dragged by your hair. And what Bonifer says that's painful and scary is you need to set a boundary. And the thing is, we use the word boundaries today like it's just an easy thing. Like, well, this is my time and I'm just setting my boundaries. Boundaries are actually a lot more painful than that. Setting boundaries always creates a crisis in our soul because it means a challenge to the relationship. It means the possibility of dissolution of the entire community. It means breakdown. Boundaries are scary things. It means you are willing to walk away from a relationship because you recognize that it is not built on spiritual love, but it's built on these codependencies of human love. I'm getting my back scratched. I'm scratching your back. And all the while, we're hurting each other in the, promise, in the process. But it still works out. So we keep doing it. Bonifer says that must end. That must end. The word he uses is dissolution or dissolve. And you might say, that's a little harsh. Especially when we talk about a church community. That's, those are harsh words. A couple of years ago, there was news that was hitting the airwaves, the blogosphere. I remember this because I lived in that part of the country at the time on the West Coast. A prominent pastor, well-known loud-mouthed, known to operate in a very, not just executive, but almost forceful, controlling style, was able to build a community small, started with 12 people, became 200, 2,000, large church. But eventually the fallout began to trickle. The fallout began to be so toxic, so unhealthy, and that church had to fold. That church, with five campuses in the Seattle area, folded. With thousands and thousands of people, why did it fold? Because in the end, the, the culture was toxic. 
because of the relationships between the pastor and the board and then the people with the leadership. There were so many, I mean, in the name of Jesus, we're talking about, you know, building a community. But it's, it's amazing how in the name of Jesus, so many unhealthy things can persist. Is it imperative that a church of 2,000 or 20,000 people that's built on toxic human love, that dependency or those enmeshments, is it imperative that it should close? What Bonifer seems to be saying is yes, sooner than later. The sooner a broken relationship or a broken community faces the truth, the better. Because there will be less damage down the road. Now that, for me, is a very painful and sobering message. Woven, being four years old, are we building a church on my human needs? On your human needs? Somehow I can get something out of this arrangement, out of self-preservation. Because if that's the case, it's better to shut the whole project down. Lest we damage people. That day when we fill out this this chapel, or we, f- we fill out a bigger space, is it built on spiritual love or is it built on human love? Now, here I just want to make some things clear because we're talking about human love. Those of you that were here last Sunday, you've understood this concept. Let me give you some marks, three marks and three fill-in-the-blanks of what exactly I'm talking about. If a community is built on human love, what does this look like? What are the three marks? The three things that I identify. In a community that's built on this human love, this self-preserving love that's giving, meeting my needs. First of all, it's built on personality and not principles. It's based on personality and not principles. If it's based on a personality, that personality basically has mind control over everybody. It's dangerous. The second thing that I identify, the mark of a community built on human love, is that the community is fostered, it's nurtured, and it's built on guilt feelings when expectations are not met. Guilt feelings when expectations are not met. And here I'm fully aware that this is something that I'm guilty of. Because expectations are silent. They're not verbalized. And it's easy to say, this is what I expect, this is what I want. But the thing is, oftentimes we project those expectations without words. And people, children of our families even, they feel it. And they feel shamed. And we can say, well, it's your fault. I never said anything. I never guilted you. But sometimes just, just, just being around you, Dad, just being around you, Pastor, I feel shame. I feel guilt. That is something to pay attention to. I remember going back again 25 years that I felt guilty and so ashamed that I wanted to leave that church community. I wanted to leave that church community because what I felt was a constant sense of burnout. And I felt expectations on my shoulders like they were heavy. But there was a sense where it was like we, we never asked, we, we never put those expectations on you. But there's a culture there. There's a culture. 
And even for myself, I recognize that if that's the culture that I, as the pastor, and I know I'm doing some self-talk here, I did this last Sunday as well, I, as the pastor, if I create that kind of culture, it will lead, it will lead to a human love community. It will lead to brokenness, and in the end, there needs to be something addressed within me if I am communicating silent expectations to all of you. We're getting very personal here. The third and last mark of a community built on human love is that there is not just, not just the feeding, but perpetuating of control, enmeshment, codependence, abuse. It's possible to feed it. It's possible to perpetuate it. What's the painful message in all of this? The painful message is such a community, it must dissolve. Because it's dangerous. Because there is a potential for harm. And it might be necessary for you to really get out of the matrix. It's necessary not just for your health, but they need to hear this message as well. If you are the misfit in your community, they need to hear your complaint as well. It's coming from somewhere. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. What does Scripture have to say about all this stuff that we're talking about? So far, we're hearing a lot of psychological ideas. We're hearing about codependence and all this stuff. What does the Bible have to say about it? This gets us into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I think of all these ideas like enmeshment and guilt feelings and all this stuff and all this drama that happens between human relationships, I think of the book of Corinthians. I think of Corinthians because there is nowhere else, you don't need to be a scholar to see this, where it's more evident that there's all this drama going on. When you read First and Second Corinthians, you can get the sense just by a surface read that there's a lot happening behind Paul's writing. There's issues of immorality and people doing things, incest. There's issues of having to prove oneself and the pastor having to give his letters of recommendation. All these things going back and forth. A lot of drama, a lot of enmeshments, a lot of issues. And in the midst of this, what Paul does is he speaks to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and he defines in a sense, what a real spiritual community is, what real love is, and at the same time, what human love, what imperfect love looks like. Listen to these words. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, all I am is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the ability to prophesy, I know mysteries and knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love never fails in verse 8. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, it will all disappear. You see, what we have here in 1 Corinthians 13 are all the elements of basic church. You have all the basic elements of church. You have gongs, right? Symbols. 
You have somebody that comes up and provides an insightful teaching, mysteries and knows all knowledge. And then you have the mission wing, charity and good works, and somebody giving up all their possessions to feed the poor. And you have this white-knuckling perseverance, faith to move mountains. I'll surrender my body to be burned before I give up woven covenant church. But what he says is all of those things a church does not make. All of the elements, the perfect elements of a community, all the music instruments, all of the the knowledge and wisdom, all of the charity programs, all of the perseverance for church planting, that is not what makes a church. What he says, all of these things without love, if there is not true love, it's all meaningless. See, if you remember, it was just half a year ago when we were packing all of our stuff into the trailer and out of the trailer and we were setting up in an elementary school and having service there. We had all the basic elements for church, right? We had, the, we had that big rug. <laughs> we called it the anaconda. We always had to wrestle that thing. So we wanted to have this hipster feel so we could put the rug out and it felt like we had like a folk band up in front. And my obsession was the lighting. I know all of you are sick and tired of me talking about the lighting. I don't know why, for me, lighting represented the ideal of what church is. Like, it's mood lighting. Like, we have to have this type of lighting shining this way as if it created the mood of what I felt in my mind, in my human love, the ideal of church. And we had to have all this stuff, but is that, remember, we're talking about what makes a church is that what makes a church you see the painful message that Bonifer is saying is you can have all of the elements of church but if it's not built on spiritual love there is a danger present there is a fundamental flaw to your utopian paradise and in the end there's going to be one two ten twenty a hundred misfits that are saying there's something wrong with this community and when they recognize there's something wrong with this community, they're, they're, you risk the entire matrix falling apart. And Bonifer, he says, good, good. Face the reality sooner than later. Face that there is something in this community that is emotionally enmeshed, that is not healthy. If you deny it, you're just eating steak. That's the painful message in chapter 1. Now you're asking, wow, that's pretty scary, that's pretty heavy. What does spiritual love really look like? And if Bonifer ended right there, I would be in despair because there's no hope. Every community that I've been a part of my entire life, every church that I've been a part of was imperfect. Every church had this something that, about it that was not that was just not completely healthy. But there is hope. And he talks about a spiritual love. And this gets us to our second heading. Something that I call, I call it the parish concept. Now you're not going to find this in Bonifer. This is, this is my phrase. This is the second half of today's talk is the parish concept. He doesn't use that, but I think that's what he's talking about. Listen to these words as we talk about spiritual love in the second half. So there is hope. 
Bonifer says, this is page 37. Life together under the word, it will and it can remain sound and healthy. Where the community understands itself as being a part of the one holy Christian church. In other words, when the community recognizes that it's not the end all say all, it's just part of something bigger. And that people can come to Woven, they can go to Ashford, they can go to LBN, they can go to Access down the road, they can go to Life Path, you can go to any covenant church in the city. In the end, there's a freedom there. Because why? We are not Walmart. We're not the end all. We're not providing everything. We are not a perfect end all say all church. So you're part, we're part of something bigger. And all of you should be free to walk in these doors and walk out. That, I think, is the healthiest thing that I as a pastor of this church can say. That's the only, that's, that's the first way. But then he continues and it gets even better. Listen to this. This is a little bit hard to understand. Every principle of selection, selection, that's connected with the community that is not necessitated quite objectively by common work, local conditions, or family connections is of the greatest danger to a Christian community. One more time. Every principle of selection connected with it that is not necessitated quite objectively by common work, local conditions, or family connections is of the greatest danger to a Christian community. What Bonifer is saying here is be careful... Be careful not to select a community, but to accept a community. Be careful not to select a community, but to accept a community. Because when a community is selected, this is what he says, when the way of intellectual or spiritual selection is taken, what happens is the human element always insinuates itself and robs the fellowship of its spiritual power. This is deep, but it also is immensely practical. And I'm glad that some of our high school students are here that we don't have youth group today so you can hear these words. Because when I was in high school, I knew what it was like. I know it's somewhat, somewhat with a little bit of shame that I say this, but I think all of you can relate to this to some degree. I knew what it was like to be a wannabe. I knew... I selected the crowd that I, wanted it to, that I wanted to be a part of. And I said, I want to be with them. The ideal for me is being part of this group, is being part of that group. I select the community that I want to be a part of. I want to be with them. What happens when you do this, listen carefully, especially if you're young. When you do that and you put yourself out there, you select, you say, I want to be with them. They can do whatever they want to you. Because they can tell that you're wanting something from this community. They can tell. And abuse is just the beginning. Bullying is the result. Why? Because they can see that you have selected. In selection, what happens is we are in the driver's seat. We are the ones that are selecting this arrangement. And people recognizing that can do whatever they want to you. But Bonifer continues, when the way of intellectual spiritual selection is taken, the human element insinuates itself. But listen, the exclusion of the weak and insignificant, 
the useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ and that the poor brother, in the poor brother, Christ knocks at the door. He warns us, be very careful at this point. Be very careful. What is he saying be very careful about? He's saying be very careful that, number one, we are not selecting a community, but number two, that we are accepting a community. Be very careful. If I can just kind of tie this and make it real. Recently, I watched the movie, um, The Greatest Showman. And I think that this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. That when you spend your life selecting those that we want to be with, when we spend our life saying, that is what I want to aspire to, the noble crowd instead of the circus freaks. When I spend my life wanting to be with them, that crowd will destroy you. That principle of selection just by virtue, that dynamic that's, a, that's set up within me that's saying, I want this, will set you up for unhealthy relationships. And in the end, I mean, I don't mean to spoil it, but really that's the point of the story. Barnum the greatest showman recognizes that his family, it's not high society, it's the people, it's the people who he is making his home with. And from now on, he recognizes, you are my family. Do you, do you see what we're, we're saying here? What I'm saying here is we are all freaks. We're all freaks. And until we recognize that, we're still picking and choosing who we want to hang out with. You see, the principle is not selection. It's acceptance. And in this larger kingdom city community, in some ways, it's, 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 it's like the greatest showman. We're all from different backgrounds. We're all from different life stories. But until we recognize that this is my family why? These are the people God has put in front of me. That is when we can really begin to operate on the basis of spiritual love and not human love. Why? Because the fundamental internal driver is changed. I am not the one that is setting up this community. God is. In selection, I am the one that is the author of the community. In acceptance, God is the one. Who has entangled us with these lives? You see, when we select, we say, these are the people I want to hang out with. What happens is we get emotionally entangled. But when we look at these words Bonifer is talking about, Common work, local conditions, family conditions. What we're talking about is not emotional entanglement. We're talking about a geographic, a circumstantial entanglement. In other words, God has jumbled you in with all these different people under this kingdom city roof. And the principle is no longer selection, but God has entangled you. And now we're talking about acceptance. We wrap this up. What does the Bible have to say about all of this? I think of one word in the Old Testament. One word in the Old Testament, and that word is loving kindness or faithfulness. 
The thing is, I would put a verse on the screen, but this one Hebrew word shows up so many times in the Old Testament. There isn't just one single verse. That Hebrew word is chesed. And chesed is translated alternatively, steadfast love, mercy, favor. It's the kind of love that you say, well, you're my nephew. And even though you're a punk, I'm going to look after you. Or she's my aunt, and even though she pinches my cheeks and drives me crazy, she's, my, she's blood. I love her. Chesed talks about these family relationships and family ties. Love for you, love for somebody as part of the larger family, part of the larger community. But the thing about this word is oftentimes it's also used to people who are not part of my family, not part of the Israelite people. That word chesed, for example, is applied to Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She wasn't even Jewish. And so you have these instances where love is expressed cross-culturally. Chesed is a cross-cultural kind of love. It's the ability to look at somebody else and say, you are family. It's the experience that I had, you know, a couple of Sundays ago at our launch service for the building dedication. We talked about how the vision for Woven is desegregating Sunday. And I've had, ever since then, a couple of people of color different ethnic backgrounds come up to me and say, yes, yes. And as we start talking, and as we listen to each other, as I listen to this person talk, I recognize you are different from me. You are a different color from me. You are a different ethnicity from me. You are from a different background. You come from a different part of Houston. But what I see, and I'm not just saying this, I felt this, your family, your family, I feel the same spirit. Chesed is the type of love that goes cross-cultural. It's the type of love that sees family and accepts as family the person that is different. Three marks of community as we close off built on spiritual love. First of all, a community built on spiritual love is held together by faithfulness, not selection. And I understand that there's an undercurrent here. Pastor Wayne, are you telling us that basically more guilt expectations? Just be faithful to woven until your knuckles bleed or something. I recognize even in that statement how much, how much guilt I can project. And no, we're not talking about white knuckling bleeding till the end. Church planting is hard. It's not for everybody. Eventually, I or you will burn out. The faithfulness that we speak here is not, not pressing through. The faithfulness that we speak about is faithfulness to your neighbor. Faithfulness and recognizing that the person who is not like me, but somehow God has entangled me with them in this church community, that's what we mean by chesed. You have the opportunity to show chesed love to somebody that is not like you. But somehow God has just entangled you into community. You didn't choose that person. That's the difference. The second mark 
is acceptance of whoever is on the premises. Acceptance of whoever is on the premises. This is, this is really, um, I think, the pathway to spirituality. Let me share a quick story. Last story. I know it's getting time. Acceptance of whoever is on the premises reminds me of my high school experience. My high school, uh, growing up in New York City, once you went into high school, you had the opportunity to uh, try out. I don't know if that's the right word, to apply to different high schools throughout the city. And I remember seeing at that time in my life that all the, the crowd that I wanted to be a part of went to certain schools throughout Manhattan. And I ended up in a school that drew a lot of kids from a different socioeconomic background. Harlem, <laughs> the South Bronx. And I remember these kids, they would take the four or five or six or the one, two or three train and they come downtown at 59th Street and we would get smashed together in this geographic entanglement in something called high school. And my closest friends all throughout high school eventually would be Dominican, uh, people from the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, African Americans. And I remember the first year of high school being so difficult for me. It was so hard. Because I saw all the other kids going to Julia, you know, going to these schools or those magnet schools, those chain schools, etc. And I saw them going to these schools and I was thinking to myself, why can't I be with that crowd? Why can't I be with those people? Instead, I'm bunched in with all these kids from the South Bronx in a trade school and I wanted to transfer so bad. But what I found in my junior and in my senior year as I stayed, they, they, you know, we, we, set up the, we set up our first volleyball team ever, I remember, and I became the captain of it. And we went off to the playoffs in my senior year. And anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is by the senior year, I came to recognize all of these people from such a different background. I came from Queens. They're from the Bronx. But you know what? There's so much, so much goodness that I learned from my high school friends. They were my friends. I loved them. I would defend them. We played together. We fought together. And we were on the same team. Acceptance was the key. But I resisted it. Because selection was foremost in my mind for a long time. So in closing, just remember this message of the greatest showman. Who is it? That is our true community. The third and last mark, I want to finish on this, of community built on spiritual love. I don't want you to think, I don't want you to think that it's just about, you know, community is just about putting up, putting up, and putting up with unhealthy dependencies. I know we're talking about really complex, deep stuff here. The reason this is coming out is because these are even the things that I'm learning in my own life as I'm learning to be a healthier human being. But you got to put up some tough love and boundaries. If you're in a relationship, whether it's a, a, a marriage relationship, whether it's a friendship relationship, a professional, or even if you're part of a church community, this community, and you find that you are consistently somehow wounded, somehow consistently in that relationship abused or taken advantage of, then it is quite necessary to get out of the matrix, to set 
a boundary to practice tough love. That is probably the healthiest thing that you can do for this community. Because it forces me, it forces us, it forces others to operate in a more healthy manner. Not only is it healthy for you, it's healthy for others. Tough love and boundaries have to be present. Let's close our eyes as the worship team comes back up. I recognize that this is kind of, this has been kind of a, a very deep, deep, kind of hard to grasp talk. But I believe it's so necessary. It's necessary for us to hear this. This is the pathway to spiritual and community health, is learning to say that is learning to set my boundaries, is learning to be healthy, but also learning to accept what comes from God and not from my own hands. Now, a lot of words were said, but as the worship team just quietly plays this next song, I'd like you to just think about one thing you've heard. I hope, I really hope that one spiritual truth or an application will perhaps sink deep into your soul and will lead to fruitful, changed attitudes or behaviors. So a lot was said. Just reflect on one thing you heard. Just one thing and keep it on your mind.